Hello, my name is Eddie. I was pastor here in 2018. So uh, <laughs> it's good to be back. I appreciate you guys letting us, letting us go and rest. And uh, Diana Marie came through all those weeks being locked up with me in the cabin, and she still has all her mental faculties. So uh, see, the, that's a good deal. And I, I appreciate Brother Scott and uh, the messages that he brought on grace. And it pretty much leads up to the title of this message this morning, God's answer to an unhappy marriage. And we who have uh, been living in marital bliss for many years, we understand that grace uh, is, is needed in, in those relationships as in other relationships as well. You know, God, God gave us his word as a guide. And the word that he gave us is for every aspect of our lives. It doesn't matter what it is. From the time that we're able to understand it till the time that he stops our heart and takes us out of this world, actually. But you and I both know that we don't always follow the guide. We, we get off base a little bit. And I think one of the things, I think of all the great things God has done for mankind in creating us and breathing the Holy Spirit of life into us, but, but one of the things he did that I think was risky was he gave us free moral agency that we have the right to choose. He gives us the guide and say, now, kids, here it is. If, if you want your life to be the best that it can be and you want me to bless you the most that I can bless you, you follow my precepts. You follow this guide. But I doubt if there's anybody in here, unless it's some of these little kids that uh, ha has done that, actually. You'll remember these words, to have and to hold from this day forward. For better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. Are there any words more tenderly spoken than those of the marriage ceremony? And is there any more joyous and intimate partnership than the union of warm innocence that God creates when he puts us together? He creates beauty in all things, and marriage is his masterpiece in the realm of relationships. When we think of all the relationships we have on earth, this is God's opus. This, this was what it was intended to be. It was at the, at the zenith, if you will, of all relationships as far as between humans, actually. But just as the beauty of his holiness breathes things into life, sin mars all with its cold death touch. Like a butterfly in its flight is seared by a merciless sun. Marriages are, are often withered by sin. The one flesh is torn into two shredded and bleeding individuals that leave scars that last forever. If God could open our hearts this morning, for many of us that have been through things in life, you, you, would, see, you would see scars on them. You know, a scar is a piece of flesh that's been torn or ripped or burnt and heals back, but there's still a mark there. You know, a lot of times when we have given our hearts to each other and those have been ripped apart, it, it leaves scars that, that heal 
But then on occasion, there's something that knocks that scab off and it starts to bleed again. You, you know what I'm talking about. And some mask their plan, pain of separateness by retaining a form of marriage, living lives of quiet desperation as they plod through their days. Communication stops, and it's two separate individuals living in the same house. Some use prescription drugs. Others take a few drinks to take the edge off of their unhappy state. Then there are others that pound each other. I, I used to think that men did most of the pounding, and that might be true. Still, there are women that abuse their husbands as well. And that's, that's, that's their, daily, it's their daily existence. And they, 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 they take it out on somebody else's flesh or they destroy their self-esteem and make them feel like they're worthless. It's just not a happy situation, actually. And so people separate. And usually, if they get help, they might make it back. But the longer they're apart, the, the farther and farther apart that they get. And so at last, divorce hisses into the confusion. The serpent invades the garden and drives relationships to dust, destroying love that was once held dear. So these harducks do not go away and on their own. 1 Corinthians 7, 7 through, 16, 7 through 16, Paul deals with these difficult situations. He starts out like this. Sometimes I wish everyone was single like me. A simpler life in many ways. But celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some, the gift of married life to others. I do, though, tell the unmarried and widows that singleness might be the best thing for them, as it has been for me. But if they can't manage their desires and emotions, they should by all means go ahead and get married. The difference... Difficulties of marriage are preferable by far to the sexually tortured life as a single. And if you are married, stay, stay married. This is the master's command, not mine. If a wife should leave her husband, she must either remain single or else come back and make things right with him. And a husband has no right to get rid of his wife. For the rest of you who are in mixed marriages, Christian marriages to a non-Christian, we have no explicit command from the master. So this is what you must do. If you are a man with a wife who is not a believer but who wants to still live with you, hold on to her. If you are a woman with a husband who is not a believer but he wants to live with you, hold on to him. The unbelieving husband shares to an extent in the holiness of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is likewise touched by the holiness of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be left out, as it is. They also are included in the spiritual purposes of God. On the other hand, if the unbelieving spouse walks out, you've got to let him or her go. You don't have to hold on desperately. God has called us to make the best of all, as peaceably as we can. You, can never, you never know, wife, the way you handle this might bring your husband not back, only back to you but to God. And you never know, husband, the way you handle this might bring your wife not only back to you but to God. Or <clears throat> in an, unhas, an unhas, unhappy husband's state, there could be another choice like this guy got into at the bank. Let's watch this. Him, I've given you the best years of my life. You've got no drive, no ambition. That's your trouble. Right, this is a hold up. Get back. Look out. Anybody moves, she gets it. 
<laughs> I doubt if any of us will get into anything like that. But oh, about Bill Snodgrass on that clip. <clears throat> One of the things about, as I read this text, and I, and I really, really think about that, in a marriage relationship, regardless of what state it's in, for it to work properly, it takes both parties. It can't be lopsided. I've seen that. It doesn't work so good. It has to be the fact that both people are working at it. <clears throat> I don't think marriage is 50-50, actually. I think it's 100%. 100%. Each person giving themselves to the other 100% of the time. That's the way it works the best. So Paul gives some answers for the divorced and the widowed. The first situation addressed are those of the unmarried and widows in verse 8. We know that a widow is a lady that uh, has lost her partner in death. But when Paul uses the word unmarried here, he's actually referring to those who have been divorced and are not yet remarried rather than those who've always been single. Paul gives his attention to the needs of the vulnerable one, showing them that God's counsel can help them. <clears throat> I found this interesting. When we talk about divorce, we think it's like a 20th, 21st century deal, but it, it's been around since marriage has been around. I, I think in the garden, when the problem started, that it, 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 it became an issue after that to, to a degree. And of course, the Old Testament's a lot different than the New, but nonetheless, even in Paul's day, it was there. And here's the ideal. Singleness is the jewel in Paul's crown, as he says in verse 8. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as. Paul is saying to the divorced and the widowed to, to remain single, not to inflict them with a life of holiness, but to spare them from the cares and the worries involved in marriage. He, he, he says it's better if you stay single, that way you can serve God more. The concession, Paul realized, however, that all divorces or widowed people do not have the gift of celibacy. They can't, cannot control their sexual passion, so Paul says, let them marry. Paul advises remarriage because it is better to marry than to burn. That's in verse 9 as well. Some people find it impossible to subdue that sexual drive within them, so it's better for them to be married. And Paul says, if you do remarry, marry a believer. He says that on more than one occasion. It'll solve problems down the road. Here's some answers for the married. <clears throat> Excuse me. 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 16 he turns from the broken homes of the divorced and the widowed to the fragile homes of the unhappily married. Verse 10 and 11, Paul gives the ideal for marriage. But to the married I give instructions, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband and that the husband should not send his wife away. Paul is saying that these marriages that have been seamed in heaven are not to be ripped apart on earth that mates are to cleave to each other and bond together and become one flesh, and it's to be permanent. But we realize that it doesn't stay permanent. We realize that sin enters in a lot of times and things are beyond our control, and that's ripped apart. Thus, the pain that, that, that comes with that of being intimate with somebody and then you're not together. 
The ideal always cannot be upheld in a sin-laden world. Paul doesn't hide from reality. He knows that's the case, so he tries to give some practical application here for us to deal with this. And first he talks about broken Christian marriages for Christians whose marital bonds have been severed by the sharp edge of selfishness. And that's usually what it is. It usually is on one part or the other. That's a, it's a fantastic way to be miserable, but I want my way. I want the spouse to be this way, and if they're not, I will go get another one, and thus the cycle. Paul says in verse 11, but if she does leave, let her remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. That is, this, is what, this is what God says. Even when this exception applies, though, believers are free to remarry other, only other believers. Paul goes back to that again. And then he talks about continuing mixed marriages, about where one mate is a follower of Christ and one is not. Should they continue or should they split? Jesus never addressed the issue. Paul provides us with spiritual sound advice based on his God-given authority in verses 12 and 13. But for the rest I say not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, let him not send her away. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, let her not send her away. And then he talks about spiritually mixed marriages that fail. This last situation that Paul deals with concerns marriages in which non-Christian spouses leave, literally separates from or divorces the Christian mate. As Paul says in verse 15, yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave the brother or the sister. It's not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So what he's saying that if you're married to a person that doesn't believe in Christ and they leave you, you are released, so to speak. You're released from that, from that union, and it, it, it's okay to remarry only in the Lord, verses 9 and 39 says that again. But, but he goes on to say this as well. If you are a follower of Christ and you do have a, a mate that's not a believer, he gives three reasons why you should really try to make that work. And the first one is this, is the sanctification of the unsaved spouse. Just as Laban's household was blessed because of Jacob in th Genesis 30, and Potiphar's house because of Joseph, 39.5, so a non-Christian mate are blessed because of their Christian spouse. Because here is a representative of Christ in that home. If you and I are living like we're supposed to be living within the context of the faith, that mate should see Christ in your life. But you know what? I always say this about homes. It's, it's in our home, it's where the monster lives because we all have Jekyll and Hyde personalities. I, always look, I talk to young people before they get married, say, have you seen the monster? Most, most of them have, and some, some hasn't. But, but that's, that's who we are, and that's but, but how important this is to live at home so that person that you're living with, that you want to come to Christ more than anything else. Secondly, spiritual, the spiritual cleansing of the children. If you've got kids involved, that Christian mate ought to be trying to interject Christ into their life and teach them how to live. And then the third one is salvation of that unbelieving mate, that you pray for them, that you are so in love with them and with God that you do everything in your power in your life to bring them to that saving grace in Christ. 
so they'll be in heaven with you, actually. I've often heard the best thing we can do for our children is try to make sure they go to heaven with us. But then we got, we got divorce. It, it can't be ignored. It, it's such a part of our culture because it's affected every family in here to a degree. And I said that in the first service. I don't know if there's a family in here that somewhere in your family, aunts, uncles, nieces, cousins, doesn't matter, or even with your married spouse's family as well, that this affected. It has become a part of our culture, so we have to address it. The church has to address it. We have to talk about it. And it's the point. Scripture allows for divorces under certain circumstances. But you might be here this morning and your relationship with your spouse is going down the tubes and you might be contemplating divorce as a way out. I always tell people getting married, you don't ever see that as an option. But I've seen it happen over and over. Sometimes it doesn't get people out of their problems because sometimes it's a spiritual problem. If if that's you this morning and you're pondering this, I, I want you to listen closely to the words of Mike Mason. Before making a final decision, and I quote, Couples who begin to feel themselves out of love need to return to doing the sort of things they did together when they were in love. On rare occasion, has anybody ever stood at this altar and looked deep into that person that they've chose over every other person on the face of this planet and not love them? I don't know if I've ever seen that. I've never been involved where the father-in-law stands behind nudging that to-be-groom with a shotgun in his back. I've I've been blessed to not have to deal with that. And then I go on, and he goes on. Originally, we did these things only with the help of God's gift of natural attraction. But God is not interested ultimately in natural attraction. He wants us to come to know the supernatural attraction of his own sort of love. So later in life, we may be called upon to repeat our original acts of love, but this time without much help from the emotions. We may be called upon to act all alone, out of pure faith and trust, perhaps without even the perceived help of our partner, for it is often God's way that what he himself has taught us to do in the light, we must repeat on our own in the darkness, end of quote. And then we have to consider what divorce does to children when there's an involved. Unless you're a child that's been through it, I don't know you can understand it. I, I do believe that it's really confusing to them. And I thought it was interesting. I ran around the, uh, uh, this clip that from the Little Rascals, which was a children's show, which had adult themes evidently. I didn't realize that until I saw this clip. But Weezer is talking to Stymie, and he brings up divorce. Let's watch. Look 
little kids don't, I don't think they, they understand. I like Stymie had his own <laughs> definition, actually. And a lot of kids think it's about them. I think that's a tragedy. They think they've done something wrong that makes mom and dad split up. This is really brought out in this clip from Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. Let's watch. Why don't you get some sleep, okay? Okay. Warm enough? Did mom leave because of me? What? Did mom leave because of me? Don't, don't even think something like that. Mom left because of mom, and you didn't have anything to do with that, okay? Okay. Good Papa. All right, go to sleep. I love you. I love you too. I think there's a lot of children that grow up confused and they don't really ever understand that. We've, we've We've broke the mold of, of, of what God intended that to do. And I realize that in a lot of cases that it was probably going to be inevitably happen. And one thing we realize today that you and I cannot go back and change the past, regardless of what it is. Maybe we would if we had a chance, but we're not afforded that. And I think this attitude has changed somewhat in the church over the last 10, 20 years. A lot of people used to look down on divorced people, that they weren't on the same spiritual plane as them. And I do believe that that is wrong, that they were sometimes excluded from things in church and whatever. But it can be forgiven, and it, it, they're, just, they're just as forgiven as we who maybe have not done that. But the fact is, it's, it's like other groups of people that we have stereotyped and labeled. Our course of action is to love them and try to bring them into the kingdom. And that's, that's how I see this in this situation. And, and, and I, I do believe that, that that's changing some. But divorce has affected a lot of people and a lot of us here today. But the fact is you have to let that go and Ask God's forgiveness and, and move on. Unhappy marriages, what should be done about them? I, when I was thinking about Diana and I will be married 49 years this year, and on those days when we're not real happy with each other, and uh, I, I always go back to the first time 
that I saw her, actually. I go clear back. The summer of 1966. I was living with my grandma at uh, a house across from the city park in Westfield, Illinois, and every Friday night they'd have these teen dances, and I would go, and I was a heathen there. Like I said, I couldn't dance a lick. I looked like Elaine on Seinfeld dancing. I drank six or eight PBRs, and I could dance my fool head off, but I didn't remember it. And that was wrong. That was sin. It was a problem. But nonetheless, I was sober when I was 16, sitting on that porch. Right across the street, a 53 red Pontiac convertible pulls up. Tall, lanky guy. The driver gets out, which I found out was her brother. And then there was a guy in the front seat. It was kind of stocky and had big, thick glasses. And then out floats out of the back seat a goddess, actually. <laughs> I, I can't explain to you what, what, what that was like for me. Tall and slender with long hair floating across the grass of the park. And what really disturbed me, I thought that real dumpy guy was with her, but he wasn't. They were just friends. Find out later. But, and then to get to, to marry her and have her have my children. And, uh, and I tell you, there's another time that really cemented the deal before we ever even knew we were going to get married, actually. I, I was in love with her then. And it was 1969, and I was in the Marine Corps, and I was sitting in a coffee shop in uh, Oceanside, California, and I was bummed out. It was raining like crazy. And I was sitting there drinking, drinking coffee, actually, looking out the window. And those music buffs, I don't know if you remember a guy named Brooke Benton had a song called Rainy Night in Georgia, and that was playing. And I really loved that song. Man, I was sitting there, yeah, big, tough Marine sitting there crying like a baby in his coffee. Well, at least it wasn't beer. I, I wasn't drinking then, so I had done that. But when I have issues in our relationship, I, I like to go back to these places. And uh, when our kids um, were born, you know, and I, I'll tell you, in 49 years, it's not always been easy. And there's a couple times it got pretty close, but man, I praise God. I praise God that, that we hung in there, you know. So here's my point as I land this plane today. Regardless of how many times you've been married, for God's sake and for your sake, treat this one like the first one. That, that's, that's, that's what I say. I, I do believe God believes that with all of his heart as well. Make this one like your first one. Make it, make it work. You know the truth God has told you. You know, There's some passages, four passages actually in the bulletin to look up about these issues. So if you get a chance, uh, look those up. Hey, marriage is hard work, but boy, it, it sure is worth it. And there are numerous black holes along the way. <laughs> and when you're in those black holes, you've you got to hang on. You've you got to pray. You need help. Seek out a Christian counselor and listen to them because they'll tell you the truth, most of them. If not, the red flags will come up because the Holy Spirit will peck you on the shoulder. And you listen to that advice and you, you swallow your pride and your selfishness and you do what they tell you. 
And then you try to get into the Word together. God instituted the family, and more than anything else, it's, it's the stronghold of our world. When families start to crumble, all other stuff starts to go down the tubes as well. So, so really, really keep God's Word in mind. Lord, I love these people, and I thank you for uh, giving us instruction today and advice, if you will. And I realize that none of us are perfect, and we've made mistakes, and some of us here have broke other people's hearts on numerous occasions. We've left scars, and they've left scars on us. Today, Father, we, we can't harbor that and we can't hold on to it because it will drive us crazy. So I pray, God, as you uh, speak to our hearts uh, today, uh, as you, Holy Spirit, come into our lives that we're just obedient. There needs to be healing take place that we might do that before we leave. If we need to go to somebody and apologize, you'll lay that on our hearts as well. But right now, Father, I pray... For, for relationships, whatever that might be in these people's lives, that uh, you're in the middle of it. Thanks again for loving us and for our time together this morning. We ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.